Neil, it shall not faint. What do you think about that, man? This gospel truth of old is the reason why we can look around our congregation now and we can see that marriages are being restored and we can see that families are being brought together. We can see that marriages are happening. We can see that freedom is happening, that chains are being broken. Amen? Because of the gospel truth of old that shall not kneel and shall not faint because it stood the test of time through all the years. Amen? That's something to get excited about. I mean, y'all seem pretty sleepy to me. I think we need to turn on the lights so that y'all can wake up this morning, man. Are you happy to be here? Do you love the Lord? Amen. There we go. Get them, man. Let's go. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And the, the title of the message that I have today is called Tools for the Trade. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Give you guys a second to get there. Say amen when you got it. Amen. That sounds good enough to me. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we're so grateful to be here in your house worshiping you, Jesus. And we think about uh, by your blood and, and through your freedom, we're set free, amen. And, and God, we think about just the sacrifice that was made on that cross, that bloody cross that set us free. And we're so thankful that you would love us enough to die for us, to send your only son to die for us. While we were still helpless, we couldn't do this by ourselves if you didn't move first. So we're so thankful for that, Lord. And we just pray today that you would help us to um, identify these tools that are in this passage that we could apply into our Christian lives. That we could go out and we could make disciples that make disciples and, and we could um, help equip the saints, Lord. So we just pray that you would help us this morning to open our hearts and open our eyes, open our ears. Uh, ultimately, Lord, forgive us. Uh, forgive us where we've fallen short, where we've trespassed against you all this week, Lord. Help us to have pure hearts. Uh, uh, show us our hearts this morning, Lord. Show me my heart this morning. Help me to preach to myself that my life might be changed today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So we've all heard that, that one saying that uh, one must have the right tool for the job, right? And as a man, like, I'm super guilty of this. Me and Cody just went to a yard sale yesterday. I got gypped on two roofing guns. So there's that. But you, you got to have the right tool for the right job, you know. Uh, any kind of remodel project or any kind of project that goes on around the house, like, us men, we're the first ones to be like, oh, i got to have the tools for that, right? We have a, a piece of trim to go on the ceiling about that long. we got to go buy that brand-new pass-load uh, uh, battery-powered uh, nail gun. Brad nailer to even put it up there, right? It's 300 bucks, baby, but I'm telling you it's going to work real good. We need it for this job. I can't can't get it up there if I don't have it. You know, it ain't going to work any other way. Make you wonder how the old timers did it back in the day, right? So, <laughs> but anyways, you know, you've got to have the right tool for the job. But, you know, honestly, there's a lot of truth in that. And, and in a professional field, it's, it's very important to have the right tool for the job. 
know, for instance, like I'm starting a little construction company, and, and what's the right tools that I need to have to even show up on the job site with? I need to have a tape measure, right? I need to have a speed square. I need to have a pencil. And then following that, I need to have my saw, my nail gun, or my impact, or something like that to even do my job, right? And if Ben was here today, if I asked Ben, what tools do you need to be a police officer to do your job right? You know, he would say, I don't leave my house without my bulletproof vest on, right? I don't leave the house without my badge to tell everybody that I'm a cop. And I don't leave the house without my pistol to defend myself if I need to, right? Handcuffs, things like that. You think about a doctor. A doctor has, has the scalpels. He don't go in there with a rusty pocket knife, right? With an old case pocket knife to, to lay somebody open. No, he's got the right tool for the job, right? He's got a scalpel. He's got clamps. He's got hemostats and all those things, right? He's got the right tool for the job. But not just having the right tools for the job does not guarantee that will be effective workers, right? Um, I could have all the right tools in the world, but if I don't know how to use them, what good am I, amen? I met a lot of people like that in my life. They have a lot of the right stuff, but they just don't know how to use it. And so as a carpenter, like I said, I've, I've kind of begun to acquire all the tools that I need to, to effectively do my job, but, but I want you to consider this. If I get, my, if I get a, tool, a tool box or a tool bag or something, I put all my tools in there in the morning, right? And I wheel it over here to my front door, and I set it here by my front door, and I walk out my front door and I get in my truck and I show up to the job site and I ain't got any of my tools, what good am I, right? If I forgot all my tools at the front door, what good am I as a carpenter if I come to work unequipped? What good is the cop who comes to work and, and, and all he's got is, is one bullet or all he's got is no bulletproof vest and, and no handcuffs or anything like that? He is no good for his job. You know, if we've left our tools by the front door, how will we ever get the job done? And also, how is anyone ever going to correctly do the job they've been hired for if nobody ever tells them what tools they need? So if a new guy shows up on the job site every single day and nobody ever informs him, hey man, you need a tape measure, hey, you need a tool belt, hey, you need a knife, hey, you need this, hey, you need that, what good is he going to be if nobody ever comes alongside of him and helps him show him what kind of tools he needs to do the job right? Amen? Again, without the right tools for the job... The worker only proves to be unprepared and ineffective. And I know you're kind of asking yourself this right now, like what does all this talk about tools and, 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 and all this stuff have to do about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I'm super glad that you asked me this morning because in this passage, thanks, right? Yeah. In this passage of scripture today, I'd like to give heed. I'd like to show you guys three essential tools for the Christian life. And they're common tools that many churchgoers are very familiar with. Uh, but unfortunately I'm, I'm, uh, unfortunately, I'm afraid that we sort of just kind of gloss over these tools. Um, like we're very familiar with these words and with these tools. But as we've heard them over and over and over again, we just sort of kind of become numb to them, right? We kind of gloss over the power of these three tools. And, and we gloss over the weightiness of these words, faith and hope and love. They just sort of kind of go unnoticed. So often as Christians, we leave these tools, faith, hope, and love, by the front doors we walk out of our home, leaving unequipped for the day. And also it's a sad reality that those lost in their trespasses and their transgressions and their sins, those who have never been born again, those who have never put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's a sad reality that they have no idea what faith really is. It's a sad reality that they have no hope. It's a sad reality that they've never really experienced true love. But the good news today is this. The good news is that there's a way to experience peace with God. Amen. There's, there's a way to know true love. 
There is a way to have hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody goes to the Father except through Him. What's His name? Say it one time. Jesus, Jesus right? All you've got to do is have faith. So Christian, the question today is this. Have you forgotten the essential tools for the calling that has been laid before you? And I challenge you today that as we read this section of Scripture, as we read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, I want you to pay attention and I want you to listen to these three essential tools that are laid before us. I want you to turn your ear to these three powerful words, faith, hope, and love. Turn to your neighbor on your left and say faith. Turn to your neighbor. Gabby, that's sad. Come on, man. Left. <laughs> this, this hand. <laughs> say faith. Okay, turn to your neighbor on your right and say hope. Now everybody shout it out. Say love. Love. There we go. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read it real quick. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes these words. Therefore, having been justified by faith. And so to handle this text properly, we always got to ask ourselves, what's the therefore, therefore, right? Because the therefore in the text is like a big warning sign. When you see therefore, it's like this big warning sign when you're driving your car down the road and you see the sign that says stop, turn around, and go back. And if you don't heed that warning sign, what's, what's there a possibility of? Crashing the car, right? You might hurt yourself. You could get, you get, hurt, get hurt. So when we see the therefore, if we don't stop and turn around and go back, we have this possibility of crashing our biblical car. We have a possibility of fumbling the text. So we want to heed the therefore. And as we examine chapter 4 of, of Romans, we see that the Apostle Paul is writing about Abraham being justified by faith and that the promise that God made with him would be granted through faith on account of all who would believe. So let me read 4, 1 through 5. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as, as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So putting a pin in that, we want to rewind all the way to back to the beginning of the Bible. Uh, we want to go back to Genesis chapter 12. And you don't have to turn there, but and, and so in, Gen in Genesis chapter 12, what do we see? We see a man named Abraham step on the scene, right? We see him, it's the first appearance of Abraham in the Bible. Um, Abraham steps on the scene and look, he's no noteworthy guy. He's nothing to talk about. He's not a guy that you would bring home to mama, ladies. In fact, he's 75 years old. He worships the moon and he still lives with his father. Like he's not doing too hot, right? 75 years old, man, you should have moved out. I don't care if it's Bible times or not, man. He's not doing very hot. And despite all of that, though, despite all of his iniquities, his infirmities, all of his mess, God still chose to call him, right? Aren't you grateful about the calling of God that he would choose us knuckleheads, right? Knowing already full well who we would be. And God spoke to Abraham in chapter 12, verse 1. And what did he say? He said, get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And as the story progresses, God speaks again to Abraham in a vision, and he tells him this. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your exceedingly great reward. That's Genesis 15. So God is basically telling Abraham, get out, leave. Step out on faith. Step out by faith. I'm going to make you a great nation. So he's talking about making the nation of Israel, who the, who the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come from, right? So however, though, when after, after God says, don't be afraid. I'm your great shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. 
Abraham expresses himself by telling God what bothered him the most. How was God going to bring about his promise of Abraham being a great nation when he didn't even have one kid? He didn't even have one child. So God, he takes Abraham outside and he says, look towards heaven and count the stars and see if you can number them. So shall your descendants be. And it was then that Abraham believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. He believed the word of the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you believe the word of God, it will be accounted to you as righteousness. You have faith in Jesus Christ, the word of God, it will be accounted to you as righteous. The therefore in Romans 5.1 is there to show us by the life of our forefather Abraham how we are justified and also shows us the first tool in Christian living, which is faith. So faith is the first and most necessary tool that we must have as Christians. And in fact, without having faith uh, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose again after three days, one truly cannot be called a Christian. So without having faith, and, and if you don't believe the gospel, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ was beaten and betrayed and whipped and, 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 and hurt and, and nailed, pierced hands and feet on a cross, a bloody cross, if you don't believe that, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, then you can't be called a Christian, right? Anybody in opposition to that? You cannot be called a Christian if you do not believe that. Because it's the it's most essential point of it. It, it. So if that is not in your testimony, if, if, if your testimony does not include that I believe in the crucified Son of God for my sins, then, then you don't have a testimony. For what does the Bible say about salvation? Ephesians 2.8 says that, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And unfortunately, though, it's a sad fact that faith has kind of just become home decor, right? You see it on so many different people's houses. you got signs that are hung up that says, Faith, you know, believe, just believe. It's, it's, it's this painted home decor. It's hung up on, in, in, in homes all over America, but not too many people seem to truly understand what faith means, okay? Or what Jesus went through so that we might have faith. Let me tell you something today, that the faith in the Bible is never weak. The faith in the Bible is more than just a painted sign. The faith in the Bible is more than just filling out some pew card or repeating a prayer after somebody. The faith in the Bible is more than just raise your hand. I see your hand out there. I see your hand. I see your hand. It's more than that. Amen? So much more than that. The faith that saves is never weak and it's never soft. It is magnificent. It is costly. It's strong. It's not used loosely. It's extraordinary. So in the Greek, the word faith shares the same root word for believe, for faithful, and for pure. Now, do you guys remember in John chapter 12 when Mary, she takes that very expensive and costly spikenard or perfume, and what does she do with it? She puts it on Jesus' feet, right? And then what happens? Judas is freaking out. He's like, what did you do that for? That thing was worth like a year's wages, and you're just going to waste it on Jesus' feet? Well, that word pure, right there, when he says pure spikenard, is the same word, root word used in the word faith. So today, the faith that I'm speaking of, and the only faith that justifies us, is this pure, undefiled, and costly faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's expensive, amen? It's, it's, it's worth something. It's worth more than what you could ever pay. So faith always costs you something. So faith could cost you friends, could cost you family, could cost you your old hangouts, could cost you your comfort, right? 
I mean, you've got to calculate the cost. That's what Jesus was saying, right? He said uh, about building a bridge and about sending out an army, you calculate the cost, right? What are, you, are you willing to lose it all? Are you willing to lose your life for faith? Are you, are you prepared to give up your money? Are you prepared to give up your cars? Are you, like I said, are you prepared to give up your life? Are you prepared to do anything, anytime, anywhere? Because that's what faith in Jesus Christ comes with. You've got to give it all. Amen? Now the word justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith. And so justification, it's, and it hits real close to me because uh, what it has to do with it, it's, like, it's got this legal sense. It's being declared not guilty, right? And so how many of us, raise your hand if you want to, have been declared guilty in a courtroom before? Over half of us probably, right? Many of us have been declared guilty in a courtroom. It's not a good feeling to go in there and know that you're about to get sentenced, right? So that's why justification is beautiful to me because it hits so, so close to home because I've never walked into a courtroom before and been declared not guilty. Never, not once. But here's the thing, here's the beautiful thing about it is that justification is like this. You walk into a courtroom red, caught red-handed with a loaded gun, a smoking gun for, for first-degree murder. You walk into that courtroom and the judge is about to pound the gavel and somebody stands up behind you and he says, I will take his place. I will gladly take his place and I will take the death sentence for him. That's what justification is and that's what Jesus Christ did for us. An innocent, an innocent God-man who did no wrong, who never could do no wrong, stepped in the place of a guilty murderer like me and what? He took our place. He took my place. He do that for you. Amen. That's what justification is and that's why it's so important to me and that's why it's so hard. I've experienced the perfect God-man who paid the penalty for my crime in full. Have you? I've, I've, I have a personal relationship with the Jesus who expunged my record. In Missouri, when we get off parole, we call it 12-12. You are no longer a part of the system anymore. Jesus 12-12'd my life. I'm no longer a part of sin anymore. Amen? He expunged my record. I have a personal relationship with that Jesus. Do you have a personal relationship with that Jesus? I now can stand boldly and approach the judge's bench. I've never had the courage or the audacity to approach the judge's bench before. That's what I had a lawyer for. But now I can approach the judge's bench with confidence because his son died for me and, and by faith I have received forgiveness, a full pardon for my sin both now and forever. Amen. I've been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, revealed in the scriptures alone, all for the glory of God alone been justified. How's that song go? I've been justified, redeemed, set free, and forgiven. Amen? Is that something to shout about? So only by having the right tool for the job, by having faith in our tool belt, can we stand justified before God. So faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the tool that establishes peace. And peace with who? Peace with God the Father, right? He was an angry God with us before while we were in our sins. But when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And it's through faith in Jesus that we can come to know true peace, that we can have access into grace, standing firm and confident, knowing that when somebody asks us, what's the verdict of your life? You can say, I'm not guilty. I'm off the hook. I'm heaven bound for eternal glory that I've been redeemed, forgiven, and justified. Amen? So looking at verses 2 through 5. Picking up there at the, verse, uh, at the end of verse 2. Through whom, oh well, I'll just read the whole thing. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in, in hope of the glory of God. 
And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So our next tool that goes in our tool belt is hope. So it's the most it's the next essential tool in the tool belt of the Christian. But however, hope in the Bible is not used in the way that we would use it today in America, right? Because because the word hope today is kind of used like wishful thinking, right? It's it's kind of got this connotation that you would cross your fingers and put them behind your back and you would say, I hope that this happens. You know what I mean? I I hope that I get this job. I hope that my car starts, you know? I hope that whatever it is that you hope for, it's just wishful thinking, rubbing a lamp and a genie would pop out kind of kind of thinking, amen? But the word hope in the Bible is not that at all. It's actually a confident expectation. It's knowing that you know that you know what's waiting for you, amen? And according to verse 2, what is our hope in? And according to verse 2, our hope is in the glory of God. It's a confident and sure expectation of knowing that our eternal destiny is to be shared in the very glory and presence of God himself. What a hope to have. I don't want to have hope in anything else, okay? I don't want to have hope in my wife. I don't want to have hope in my house. I don't want to have hope in my job. I want to have hope in the fact that I'm going to spend eternity with God, amen, where there's going to be no sin, where every tear is wiped away, where, where his glory radiates and illuminates the whole entire place, where all things are made new. I want that hope. Do you have that hope today? I pray that you can, and I pray that you do. Just stand in the very presence of God himself. What a beautiful thing. I want nothing else. Jesus is enough. That's it. That's all I want. I need a reminder of that, though. I need a reminder that that's the hope that I desire. Because I don't know about you, I I often forget. And I begin to put things in front of God, in front of the hope that he has waiting for me. Anybody else ever do that, or am I the only sinner in this place? (laughs) It's the same hope that's used in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, this is my favorite part, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What's more powerful than God? Nothing. He wins every rock, paper, scissors match. I'm telling you, man. That was funny. I don't care who you are. (laughs) Hope is the tool that helps us to know that we know that we know what is waiting for us, either in death or the coming of Christ. Cody knows this. I tell him almost every day. Do you know that you know that you know where you're going to go when you die? Am I wrong? I mean, we have this conversation. Do you know that you know that you know where you're going to go when you die? I want it just as bad as he does. And I think he's got it, man. He's really, he's really, his vocabulary has changed. He's listening to Christian music and he's praying. And, and it blows my mind to see my brother like this, man. You know, and I'm so thankful. But I, I, you need to ask your friends, ask your family, ask your moms and your dads and your kids. Do you know that you know that you know where you're going to go when you die? It's the most important decision you'll ever make. The next one after that's marrying. Who are you going to marry? That's very important. Do you know that you know that you know where you're going to go when you die? 
So let's look at verses 3 and 5 because we're not done with hope just yet, right? So as we went through there, I'll read it again. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. So in other translations, it might say we glory in our tribulations. And tribulations are troubles, okay? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the question I have for you today is this, how do we glory in our tribulations? How do we glory in times of trouble? How is that even a thing? Like it's, it seems like such a crazy paradox. How do we glory in tribulation? How can pain and sorrow and hurt and trial and testing be glorious? How can that stuff be any good? How can it ever be pleasant to go through the fire? Because you got Jesus in your life, right? And you know what it's doing. One pastor said that every millisecond of pain is working a peculiar weight of glory, right? Every temptation, every trial, every tribulation and persecution, it's working. It's not for any, it's not for nothing. It's got value. It's got a reason. It's testing you. It's, it's molding you. It's shaping you. And it's making you stronger, amen? It's not for nothing, Covet those moments of tribulation and trial and persecution and trouble and watch how it's going to make you grow. We have hope that God captures every tear. And this is the comfort in it, okay? When you're going through that trial and tribulation and that struggle, some of that stuff is hard. Sometimes you lose family members. Sometimes you lose uh, people that are close to you. And sometimes you watch people that you love go back to the world. Sometimes people make fun of you. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I don't care. I'll say it again. Sometimes people make fun of you for your Christian walk. Maybe you'll get persecuted one day. Maybe you'll be like our brothers out there in Afghanistan, brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and other countries um, where they're going through the ringer, literally risking their lives every single day and being killed. Here's the hope that God captures every tear, that God counts every hair on your head. It's numbered and he knows it. Amen. He knows your name. He's near to the broken hearted. And this is it, that not one sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing it. Do you not think that you're more valuable than a sparrow? Amen. That's the hope to have. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. You're valuable to him. More than a sparrow, more than a flower. This is the hope that will never disappoint. It's always producing Christ likeness in us. It's always shaping us for our ministry now and forever. You guys know that, that we have an eternal ministry waiting for us, right? What are we going to do? We're going to cast our crowns back in and we're going to sing praises to the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, amen? What a great and glorious thing. Shaping us to be more and more like His Son. So are you brokenhearted over a loved one that's passed? Are you stressed to death about someone that you love that's ran off to live for the world again? Are you discouraged by the way that you're treated by family or by co-workers for being a Christian? Well, have hope. Have hope and know this, that Jesus went through twice the amount that you've gone through. And, and here's the thing. He's given you His Holy Spirit. He, he, he's given you the strength to be able to get through it. Look back at the hope that you have and it will give you peace. Amen? So Christian, where's your hope? Have you forgotten your hope? Are you using this essential tool? Is it just sitting in your tool belt that you're never using, that one tool that you never use? You can have hope that all this pain and all this suffering that you're going through, I don't know exactly what it is that each and every one of you guys are going through, but I know one, everybody's going through something, right? Something's weighing heavy on your heart. 
All this pain and suffering, it's not for anything. It's not for nothing, I mean. So have hope that all things work together for the good of those who, who, who love God, who have been called according to His purpose. And confidently know this today, that your hope is in Jesus and that all things are in His hands. And nothing can snatch you out of His hand. So have, have faith. So we have faith and we have hope in our tool belt so far. So I, I like to have my speed square over here. So I got faith over here and I got hope over here. Let's look at the third and final tool, love. Looking there at verses 5 through 8 again. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, man, I love this passage of Scripture. Let's dial in hard on this. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That passage of scripture right there is what I got saved on. It was Romans 5, 8. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was in my worst state, while I was putting a needle in my arm and stealing cars and lying to everybody and living this crazy life, God died, or Jesus died for me right then and there. Amen. Knowing exactly who I would be, he knew my mess. He knew how broken I was. And he knew the sinful, rotten stench of death that was on me. And yet he died for me anyways. Not because I was cute or cuddly. Not because I was all cleaned up and squeaky clean. No, I was rotten and he died for me right then and there. Here's the thing. We're all rotten. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody needs the love of God, the love of Christ, the blood of Christ to be saved. Amen? Amen. And this love is not the love in which we love our friends. It's, it's not the love that we have towards our spouse in this intimate, intimate way. Like, like y'all know that that love is, is magical that you have with your spouse. It can't be uh, replaced. It's, it's very deep, Right? But there's a love that's stronger than that. And it's this love that God has for us and that we could have for each other, brothers and sisters. It's not an affection in which we, it's also not an affection in which we would say, I really love this food, okay? It's, it's more than that. The love that, that is an essential tool for the Christian life is agape. It's this devoted, sacrificial, God kind of love, right? It's this same love that John uses in 1 John chapter 4 to say that God is love. It's the same love that Paul spoke of here in verses 5 through 8. You know, this, this love is a sacrificial kind of love. It's a, it's a sacrifice love that knows no boundaries, that lays it all on the line. It's, it's, it's Christ mangled, hanging on a cross by His hands and His feet with nails through each one. That kind of love. It's that love that He's talking about here. That's deep love. A love that would go further than, than anything on earth. What's that passage of Scripture? Let me read it, man. Let me flip to it. Thank you, Lord. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword? For, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from this love. 
Amen? Look with me at verse 5. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So did you catch that? The love of God has been poured in our hearts. The love of God spills over the brim of our hearts through His Spirit. It's like, it's like if you had this... Never, man, I wish I had a picture. I'd fill this, this stinking cup up right here. If I had a picture that never ends and I'm just pouring it into this cup and it's just overflowing and it's making this huge glorifying mess on everything around me and everyone around me. That's the love of God that's been poured into our hearts. It's never ending and it's just flowing and flowing and flowing. And it's overflowing into our actions and how we live every single day. Amen. And it's just getting on everybody around us. It's this glorifying, beautiful mess that's made. Amen. So moving on to verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Go back. While we were still helpless. I don't know what you guys think helpless means, but I'm unable to do anything on my own, right? I need God to move first. While I was still helpless, drowning in quicksand, in the muck and in the mire, helpless, my boat's going down, I'm a thousand miles out in sea, I can't do anything, I need help, I'm unable to save myself. That's helpless. We stood unable to save ourselves. We were lost in our trespasses without strength. And Christ died for who? Died for us, the ungodly. I don't know about anybody else out there, but you're, before, before Jesus, you weren't a godly person, right? Uh, even your babies, they're vipers in a diaper, as Vody Bachum would say, right? They're, they're little sinners, okay? And nobody is just like perfect. Like I know you got a cute little grandma that makes cookies and she just seems great, right? And we got, we got nice old men in our lives that are good old boys that give you the shirt off their back. But I'm telling you guys, they'll bust hell wide open without the blood of Christ in their lives, amen? Ungodly. Ungodly. And Christ died for them while they were still helpless. Us. He died for the heathen. He died for the thief. He died for the liar. He died for the murderer. He died for the, for, for, for the prostitute. He died for the person who's been sitting on their church pew their whole entire life and judging everybody who came in. Amen? He died for everybody. The ungodly, you name it. The sin, it doesn't matter. You name it. He died for it. And God actively demonstrates His love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Think back to your worst state in your life. Go back to that time you've done that nasty, wicked, and vile thing. And Christ died for that. Jesus' blood that was spilled, it has no boundaries. It has no borders. It is sufficient. He's no respecter of persons. Black, white, yellow, red, it doesn't matter. He's died for it all. He died not for good people, but for sinful and rotten people. Christian, have you forgotten what great love has been poured out into your hearts? Have you forgotten what great love has been poured out to save you? Have you forgotten that you have a story to tell about the love of the Creator God who sent His only Son to redeem fallen humanity? Have you left your first love at the door and gone out into the world? When we come to understand the depth of love that God has for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, it affects us on every single level. Look, it changes our eternal destination. 
It changes how we treat other people, right? Uh, Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 says that, that I'm, I'm more than just a sounding gong or a ringing cymbal. If I don't have love, if I don't have love, I'm nothing, right? I've had to go through that in my life here. If I didn't have love, what good is it? If I could talk well or if I can do anything, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Jack, zip. Whatever, man, I say zip. You say zilch. changes our motivations in our lives. We, we, we experience the love of Christ and we want to go after people, right? We want to go after people and we want to tell them about this great love that saved me. Let me show you the Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. Amen? That's my whole motivation in life anymore. Can I tell you? Man, I wish I did that perfectly every single day. And husbands, let me tell you this. It changes how we love our wives. And that love of Christ, when we experience the deep, great, rich love of God poured out in our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord, it will change how we love our wives. For what does Ephesians chapter 5 say, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. It's that sacrificial kind of love that we are going to die to our own desires and give everything that we can for her. To raise her up in the admonition of the Lord. To wash her with the water of the Word. We would give our lives for it. It would change how we love our wives if we get real with the love that God has for us. Amen? Amen. It's important because if we don't love our wives right, our prayers will be hindered. Lean in real quick as I close, okay? I'm done. I know I went a little long, but thank you for hanging in there. I want you to know this today, my brothers, my sisters, that, that the tools for the Christian life, they're at your feet, okay? Faith, hope, and love, they're right there. You need to know them. You need to put them into your tool belt. I can't put them in there for you. God's not going to put them in there for you. Rick ain't going to put them in there for you. Your discipler ain't going to put them in there for you. You got faith, hope, and love at your feet. Put them in your tool belt and wear that sucker to bed. Wake up in the morning and wear it out your door. Amen? So, so like, why are we playing the merit system then? Why are we beating ourselves up thinking that, that man, I got to work for my salvation. I ain't been in this thing for long enough. There's no way I could be saved. I got to do this right. I got to do that right. No, we could have faith in our justification by Christ who died for us, right? Amen. So why are you wavering in, in, in tribulation instead of knowing for certain that all your hope is in Jesus and that He's in control? Just as, as, just as my brother Matt Milligan said last week, this didn't take God by surprise. Amen? He's in control. So why are you not excited telling everyone about the love that's been poured out for you? So today, if you don't, know, if you don't have peace with God, you need to get peace. If you don't have peace with God, you need to come to peace with God. And you need to do that through trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Let today be the day of salvation. Don't walk out of here and let your heart be hardened, okay? Let today be the day of salvation. Today, okay? Have faith because there's hope in the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that you've... Uh, that you've all brought us here, that you brought us all here today in your house to worship. And, and God, I just pray for decisions that would be made here in this room today, whether it's salvation or whether it's, it's following you in baptism or maybe it's coming to become a member of our church. Whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that you would guide these men and these women through this. God, we're all in a, uh, we're all in a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we pray that you would help us to use these tools faith, hope, love, the Word of God to fend off, to, to, to fend off the, the devil and, 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 um, and, and, and his, 
and his demons and in the world and our flesh. That help us to bring it all into submission, Lord. So I pray today, Lord, that, that you would show up in this place during this invitation. That you would burden hearts to lay some things down, to pick up faith, hope, and love. That you would burden hearts to go out and to invite somebody to church to witness to them about the love that's been poured out for them. And God, if they have not ever experienced the love that you have for them through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I pray that they would make them, make Him their Lord and Savior today. It's in Christ's name. Amen.